Are you a sheep? No. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. This is for all the girls who grew up without strong geek role models to help them discover their geek dreams. For everyone who's ever been quizzed about their video game knowledge because girls don't play, girls games. Don't play games. Geek Hearing is working to bring female identifying geeks into their prime to be the role models, dreams and voices. Are you ready for this? Welcome to Geek Herring, a critical geek culture podcast where we talk the good and the bad parts of being a chick in a male-dominated environment. Hi, I'm Amanda, and with me today, as always, we have Monica. Hey, Amanda. How's everyone doing today? It's late for me, so I'm a bit tired, but other than that, everything is fine. How about you over there on the big over there? Over there on the big over there? <laughs> Over here, on the big over here, it's going good. It's only four o'clock in the afternoon because I've come to Canada and Monica's taking one for the team by recording an episode after 10 o'clock at night. So today we decided to do an impromptu episode because as a matter of fact, last week the New York Comic Con ended and we thought that might be a nice idea to actually do an episode about it. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. Have you ever been to a Comic Con, Monica? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have to admit I haven't, but I've researched it now. And there is one in Austria in November, so maybe I'm going to go. I'm technically a bit disadvantaged at that particular thing because Austria and Comic-Cons doesn't go well together. There weren't really a lot. We don't even have anime-cons. We had them, but I've only been to Germany to a few places, but... The ones that we have, I don't think that they're actually that big. So Comic-Cons weren't a thing here for a while, so I haven't been. <laughs> How about you? I haven't been to one of the Comic-Cons, like the big ones, but I have been to a few Game of Thrones-themed conventions. There was one, was the first year that Game of Thrones was out, so season one was out, and then Belfast hosted TitanCon, which is based on the Titanic and Con. Um, and it was all Game of Thrones. So we went to that one and met a lot of the actresses and actors in that one because like it was still the first year. It was 30 pounds all in, like that was everything. We got pictures with Maisie Williams and Christian Nairn and Sophie Turner, which was cool. I accidentally held Maisie Williams' hand. Um, <laughs> nice. As you do. <laughs> Well, I reached behind me to grab Tom's hand because um, we were in a picture together. And next thing I felt like the hand slowly pulling away from me, like this is really awkward. And I looked down and I was holding an 11-year-old girl's hand. And I was like, oops, <laughs> awkward. <laughs> so Maisie, if you ever listen to this, sorry about that awkward moment in Belfast. I really didn't mean it. I'm not sure if you've been the most awkward moment for her at that time, but hey. <laughs> well, you know, adult woman holding your 11-year-old hand. I, th I think that's kind of weird. It was weird for me. I, I felt really sorry for And because there, I went to another one in Belfast as well that Christian Nairn was at. So I've met him a few times. He plays Hodor in Game of Thrones for anybody that doesn't know. So that was cool. That's really the only ones I've been to. I know that there is one in Belfast fairly often, like a more official one, but it's always been a weekend that we haven't been able to go to. Aww. There's two coming up while we're here in Canada, one like half an hour away and one an hour and a half away. Um, nice. 
so we're going hopefully going next weekend and then at the end of the month the one at the end of the month I'm actually kind of really excited about because there's this Canadian voice actress who used to star on one of my favorite kids shows she's going to be there seriously and yeah yeah so I'm like oh my gosh am I actually going to get to meet her that's so cool so I'm really hoping that we'll get to go to that one that's awesome I've checked the one in Vienna and they actually have Barry Kripke there from the Big Bang Theory. Nice. And a few other ones too. I just totally forgot it right now. So Barry Kripke, one from Lord of the Rings, but I can't recall who it was. Give me a second. Then it's the governor from Walking Dead. Uh, oh, nice. Yes, that's awesome. So John Noble, I know his face, but I don't recall what he actually did. I just know his face. Ernie Hudson from the Ghostbusters and <laughs> Eugene Simon. He plays Lancel Lannister in Game of Thrones. Oh, cool. That's actually kind of cool. I just yeah. need to find someone to go with me there. Maybe I ask the waiter if he joins me. He'll totally join you. I'll be like, look, we can go and play video games all day. And some Doctor Who guys there too, but no woman. And here I am just like super excited to meet Alison Court. Small-time Canadian actress, voice actress, and former childhood hero. Looking forward to it. So awesome. I got to look her up later. Since we're actually total newbies to comic cons, we still have an opinion. Yeah. That's why we want to talk about it. So I've researched a bit about the New York Comic Con. It's actually the second biggest one in the U.S. What's the biggest one? Damn it. Throwing me under the bus there. Yeah, it's throwing me under the bus. Give me a second. I assume maybe San Diego. It makes sense that it's San Diego, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. I bet the US has a lot of them. Mm. Yeah, but I assume it's San Diego because they're all trademarked under the registered trademark of San Diego Comic Con International. So technically... Probably be the one, yeah. And the New York, New York Comic Con is held since 2006. The San Diego one is since 1970. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Wow, that is really cool keep coming together since the 70s we have to find our kind <laughs> yeah for sure one thing that monica's written down here in the notes which i think is really interesting is that at the new york comic-con there was 555 events like that's 555 different rooms different panels different things going on and only 41 of those celebrated diversity or talked about diversity uh, including women in culture it was actually a very confusing website to be honest like so much happening and you can't really get a proper list but when you do you're like what and yeah i was looking for more panels that deal with women and unfortunately i, I didn't find a lot so of the 555 events i mean that includes everything that's not just main panels and stuff but that's all of the tiny things in the small rooms, as Amanda said. You can count the ones that deal with women at your two hands. If you've multiplied it by four. But that's not all women. So the ones that are direct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're all like LGBTQ, which is awesome, but also people of color and Asian culture. And I found one about Puerto Rico and stuff like that. So it's general, all diversity, also cosplay and mental health and all that stuff that's also in that diversity section. They touched on awesome topics, but if you like compare it, the 555 events to the 41 in diversity, that's there's room for improvement. 
Definitely. Um, and I still, I do think it's kind of sad that there even has to be panels dedicated to diversity, but then we've made a show dedicated to women in geekdom. So it's something yeah. that obviously we still need to separate and talk about because it's just not mainstream. I've been at a seminar the last week and it was also about men and women in adult education. The discussion obviously always comes up. By talking about it, we also create the difference. But then again, we're not there yet where we cannot talk about it. So that's why we're here and that's why we need to talk about this to create more awareness. In an ideal world, it wouldn't be necessary. So in an ideal world, you wouldn't have to talk about the things. But then again, we're not in the ideal world yet. So we need to create it for ourselves. Exactly. That's good. That's Well, it's not good, but it is good that we are talking about it. Yeah. So there was definitely some interesting events. And one of the things, just before we get into the topic of women and feminism, is that there was an entire queer lounge at New York Comic Con for all the all the queer geeks and, and comic aficionados to go and, and hang out in and take pictures and just have that safe space, which I think is really nice. Um, yeah. Like when I was in university, I was part of the, the diversity and the, we had our own queer lounge and um, it, was, it was really cool. A nice space to go and just know that you're going to be with people that aren't going to treat you weird. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, as you say, it's awesome that there is a space where you don't feel like the odd one out. But then mm -hmm. it's also said that it's always necessary. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But and like that was over 10 years ago that I was at university. So it's kind of sad that it still has to happen that way. But then at the same time, it's nice to hang out with people that you identify with. So it's, it's yeah, cool that way. For sure. Everything else would be way sadder. <laughs> like if you didn't know where to go and feel always, always out of the line or always not as if you don't fit in, then it's better to have a group of same kind of people that you resonate with. Okay, let's talk about some of the panels that um, were on at New York Comic Con. One of the ones I think that Monica and I are both pretty excited to talk about is the Women in Everything Intersectional Feminism Across Genres. Oh yeah, I found that one because I'm following Sam Max on Instagram. <laughs> so shout out to Sam Max. Sam Max is pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm really, I um, still have to buy her book. <laughs> it's about the, geek culture and feminine geeks. So it's fangirls, everything, whatever. I don't know. Fangirls Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've got it with me here for my, uh, my trip. I just haven't actually gotten to read it yet. Yes, I'm really looking forward to reading that and getting to see a bit more of Sam Mags. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. There will definitely be an episode coming up on that one. For sure. Maybe we could actually ask Sam if she'd like to be on the show. That would be so cool. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be so cool. Sam, we love you. So this panel, it was all about supporting the rights and empowering women of all races and classes and sexualities, genders and abilities in our society and in geekdom. So they had quite a range of female identifying geeks on the panel. So with Sam Eggs, there was uh, Wendy Zhu, who is a comic artist, Jill Pantozzi, who is a pop culture journalist, Christina Steens-Stewart, who is also a comic writer, Charlie Jane Anders, who is a founder and editor of io9, and Susanna Polo, who is the founder of the Mary Sue, which is probably one of the most famous feminist sites out there. I'm so happy that you said all the names. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> 
get a virtual pet on your back for me here. So really diverse across their, their genres and their backgrounds and their identities. And I think it was a perfect panel to come together to talk about pop culture and feminism in pop culture. Yeah, I feel maybe we just need to add in the beginning a bit. So intersectional feminism. So people just hear intersectional feminism, feminism, what is the difference? When people think of feminism, what we often see and hear is the approach of white straight women to a feminist topic. Um, but with the intersectional feminism, people try to open that conversation even more to women of color or whatever <laughs> intersects there. <laughs> so let them be Asian or wherever they're from. So that's always a different kind of perspective or let them be queer. So there's changes the perspective to feminism if you open the topic and if you see that there are things that are overlapping and that you have a different perspective than when you're a, a straight white female. And it's so important to have different perspectives on feminism because it's easy to get into that cis white privilege when it comes yeah. to feminism because we don't have the same experiences as you know other, other races other classes other genders other abilities because most of the voices that you hear are the cis white female the important thing what they also talked about in their panel is that it's often the case that especially like cis male cis white males or cis white females write storylines or characters that are for example, characters of color or queer characters, while at the same time, they do not identify as those kind of people. So that's often difficult to embrace their wholeness or what they're all about and their experience properly in a game or in a comic, because they don't belong to that particular category of people. So that's what they've been touching on, that it's really necessary to not look at the characters that you're creating from a perspective of a stranger, like, how do I think they are? But think about them as you would think about your friend and put all the love in the description and in your writing and in the character creation. It needs a lot of empathy for the writer to actually do a good job with that. So that I found that really interesting because I think sometimes we just see stuff and think that's actually true and that's real and especially in games and comics. All these things act as role models. All the female characters in a game act as some sort of role models for the other people who play them. So it's really important to consider how we actually portray them when we put them in a game. Yeah, definitely. Um, like a lot of games that I play, they do have intersectional females, characters that are outside the straight white female. But then there's so many that they, it just is the straight white female, you know, and like that's the only perspective you get. And I think like growing up, I didn't read or look at or play a lot of games that were any different than what I am. So like I had, obviously I had lots of friends who were of different races and pretty much all their role models that they would have seen would have been just like that straight white female. So it's really important for them to come out or for, for that representation to be represented so that little girls have role models to look up to that they actually are like. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so important to see what you can become or what you can be. And even when we talk about games, it's or, or comics or 
whatever geeky stuff that we're talking about, it's important for small girls, whatever color, whatever heritage, whatever gender, whatever, um, I mean gender, we're talking about girls right now, but <laughs> wherever you are on your um, gender uh, line, doesn't matter. You want to be represented, you want to look up to something and you want to feel like you can also be that super girl, even though you're like African-American little girl or even though you live in Asia, you can be that super girl, but, but by always representing the cis white female with the blonde, long hair, it's often really hard for, for girls to feel appreciated as much or see the possibility that they have. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. And and I think it's, it's really important. I, w- I want to bring up something that the panelist Jill Pendozi, Pen- yeah, Pendozi said, um, and it's about, I'm going to put my own spin probably on what she's actually saying, but it's important as well if you are a cis white female and you're writing and or building a game or doing something that the representation that you're putting into the game isn't detrimental. Something recently came up about the the Twilight franchise with uh, Stephanie Meyer insisted that all the good vampires are white. The description was the porcelain skin, and that was an absolute deal breaker for her because the good vampires were white. She had no issues that any of the villains or the bad vampires or bad guys were darker skin or black, but she, she didn't have a problem that they were in the book. They just weren't, couldn't be the good guys. You know, um, only this porcelain skin white people can be the good. And this writer, she she's not respecting, she's not including anything, as, as Jill says, anything other than her own bias in this extremely, I don't want to say influential work, but I guess it kind of is an influential work because it has influenced like a huge trend in sparkly vampires. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it became mainstream and there was a big hype so yeah, a lot of teenage girls and boys even though they probably don't want to say it out loud I mean even though I think a lot of girls don't actually want to say it out loud that they read everything but that's what they read so that's what came across that they're like the porcelain skinned uh, super white white mm-hmm. vampires whereas the werewolves were the kind of bad ones and were the ones that were a bit darker skinned it's a bit sad that that like somebody who somebody was that insistent that it was only the white people that were good. You had an opportunity here to okay, it was it was Twilight. It's not like you were writing uh, an academic paper or something, but like you still had an opportunity to increase representation in in your works, and you actually went out of your way to say no, absolutely not porcelain skin. That's why I love 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 again. I mean, it will come up always um, that in the Cursed Child in Harry Potter, in the theater play, that Hermione is actually a woman of color. Yes. And I like, I love that. Said about it. She's like, well, I, I never specified her race. I just said that she had frizzy hair. Anyways, yeah. frizzy hair. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're right. You never specified. Um, yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> I love that too. That's so awesome. And all the drama that came about because of it was not that awesome because people stink but in general I love it I love it that it she was just like sure that's what's the matter that's no problem that's just how it is that could as well have been Hermione exactly 
So Monica, one of the questions that came up in this panel was like, what is the responsibility of the artist? Like if you want to write a story, do you, if you were writing it as like a cis white woman, would you want to include characters that are marginalized or somebody that's not your identity or, or should you stick to what is familiar? I'm asking you personally. You're asking me personally now. You're about to write something or draw something. If I were about to write something or draw something, I would probably would feel the need or urge to include as much as possible. When I think about that now, when I have that meta perspective at the moment, I would say I would want to include as many different uh, perspectives as possible. But at the same time, I doubt that I would be able to bring that across properly. I'm not sure if when I would be in the midst of writing something or drawing something or creating something that I would be able to bring that different perspective into whatever it is that I'm creating because the creative process sometimes speaks a lot about yourself and about what you experience. So If it's something where I'm like, I'm plotting a storyline that has nothing to do with me and I'm creating something that has nothing to do with me, then I think it's possible to actually be able to include as much as possible. But it would need a lot of research, in my opinion, and get a lot of opinions of people that actually deal with whatever it is that I want to create at that moment. But when it's something that comes from me, I doubt that I would actually be able to include a lot of different perspectives because it's in my own head. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, one thing that I would worry about, like I, I do, I do some writing and I, I am working on it on a book. Granted, it's a fantasy book, so it's a wee bit like it's a bit outside this realm. But if I were to be including other races, other genders, other and anything other than what I know, I would. I would almost be, I don't know if afraid is the right word, but I would almost be afraid of representing incorrectly. Yeah. And and like doing a, a really poor job of it and making any issues, making them worse. That's always a problem. Like that's always something when you're a reflective person, you don't want to make mistakes, but you know at the same time you recreate stuff. You want to be really independent and you want to have your own shit together, but at the same time you cook at home. (laughs) So, and you know that also at the same time recreating it. So often it's hard, it's difficult to not feel like a fraud in that different roles that you have. Mm -hmm. So I totally get what you're saying when you, you know that it could totally be wrong what you're writing But at the same time, you know that it's necessary, you have to include it. So it's really a double-edged sword. Exactly. And is is the right thing to approach like friends that you know, um, you know, of that gender, of that race and ask them, like, how would you approach this? Like, is, is, would that be the right thing to do, do you think? To approach friends? Yeah. And like ask their opinion on say that piece or the way that that character is represented. I feel that would definitely be at least the safest way to go because I wouldn't think that friends would judge me for getting something wrong because they would know that it's not my intention to be wrong, but it's because I talk to them, they will see that I want it to be a right representation. Do you think it could cause problems when you ask friends? No, um, I think it would be the right thing to do. Yeah. 
um, at least at least for starters, definitely. Yeah, for sure. One of the other panelists, uh, Charlie Jane Anders, she said that, yes, white creators absolutely have a responsibility to represent everybody in the world around. But she noted that it uh, must come from a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're writing respectfully and accurately to portray them. And one thing that she noted most specifically is that more people of color and other marginalized people need to write their experiences in, in fiction. Yeah, I agree. Is, is so true. I think it's really important to get all the views and all the experiences to really do a good job. Mm-hmm. Can you think of anything that does that properly? I mean, I have a hard time thinking about something right now. One thing that is coming is is actually the Marvelverse, all the Marvel world. They're doing a fantastic job of bringing to like like different cultures, different nationalities. I'm sure it's a bit on the fantasy side, but it is also rooted. The Defender series are based in New York. And like Luke Cage, have you seen Luke Cage at all? Mm-mm. It's based in Harlem. Um, mm-hmm. And he's a predominant African-American figure. And it brings a lot of social issues to light throughout the series. Mm-hmm. I've only seen the first season, so I haven't seen the second or, or the Defenders yet. But like, I was really impressed with how, how that was done and... Then there's Black Panther, which I still haven't seen. It hasn't come up on the list yet. Oh. Uh, but from what I understand and from what I heard and saw about the cinema, like that was as it should have been a huge deal to be to like to have the African nations represented like that. It um, was a really good movie. Yeah. It was. It had. It had so much actually. It had obviously the African American aspect because it was. Um, yeah, everybody who saw Black Panther know what it's about. So no spoilers. Also, there were a lot of really strong women in that movie as well. Mm-hmm. Like they had an army full of women. That was pretty epic. And the biggest geek there was a girl. That was really in so many regards. It was really good movie. Yeah, so I I think based on what we've seen so far and what's coming up, Marvel's doing probably one of the best jobs out there of representing diversity in Mm -hmm. like a mainstream media form. People need to talk more about it. That's definitely true. Personally, I I, I think, Monica, you're the same. I would have loved to have been at this panel to be with these like strong, amazing, geeky women. Oh, yeah. And see them in person being awesome and badass and super smart i feel often a bit sad (laughs) no it's not sad it's like fomo fear of missing out on stuff because we're a small country (laughs) nobody comes to austria nobody comes to austria nobody films awesome geeky stuff in austria and no sound of music does not count because totally gonna say that i knew it because (laughs) Because everybody associates Sound of Music with Austria and all the Austrians haven't seen it, people. I'm telling you that. We don't know that stupid movie that you're coming to our country for. So that's just... I don't even want to know. That's not very feminist, is it? No. Yeah. It's not. It's still a good movie. In Austria, we don't have a lot of this stuff happening. If you look at the big comic cons where there are like all the awesome guests and stuff, and then you hear like, yay, 
the best thing we get is Barry Kripke, which is nice, you know, I mean, it's nice, at least it's like, I saw you don't Big Bang Theory, but then also it's kind of, meh, it just makes me a bit FOMO-ish when I see what awesome things are actually happening. Maybe one time we can go to Belfast Comic Con together and, and check it out. I'm really pleased that New York Comic Con is bringing these panels out. I'll just run through a few of the other ones that we found. There was um, Women of AFK Books, Star Wars Women of the Galaxy, Girl Fight, The Leading Ladies of Comics, Surviving as Women, Non-Binary People of Color with Mental Illness and Cosplay, Women Incorporated Webtoon Empowers Creators, and Women of Color in Comics, Race, Gender, the Comic Book Medium. That's pretty awesome. So I think, yeah, like there, there was definitely some really interesting ones. I'm sure they highlighted an awful lot. We obviously focused a bit more on this intersectional feminism one because Sam Mags, we love you. Yeah, Sam Mags, come to our podcast. But yeah, in general, I just, there was no, there were no live streams, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All you got was articles, which is sad. So New York Comic Con, up your game. Yeah, give us live streams. Give us virtual tickets. Virtual tickets. Yeah, it was so buy virtual ticket. That would be actually um, really awesome. Yeah, BlizzCon does it, so I don't see why other conventions can't. So I think that's that's everything I have to say about New York Comic Con from afar. What about <laughs> you, Monica? You have anything you want to say in close? I just feel that whatever Sam Max again, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> what Sam Max said at the sometime during the panel, which I found online was that she said, and I'm quoting this here, we just need more women in things because right now when you have always the one female character, it means that we are presented with all these different ways to be a man and then the one woman has to represent all women of all types in all ways. So really feel that this is something that everybody has to embrace to realize that we need more variety, we need more diversity in games for us geek girls out here. Absolutely. Man, that, that's so true. It's it's just really true. <laughs> so everybody of our listeners take this as a motivational push to do awesome stuff with your things. Yeah, be more women, be more inclusive and diverse and celebrate women because we're awesome. And we need to know that there's more more ways to be a woman out there. If you like this episode of Geek Caring, why not leave us an iTunes review? You can also find us on social at Geek Caring and over on geekcaring.com. This show is brought to you by Dragon Powered Studio. Find more at Dragon Powered Studio. Dot com.